on this week's Thoughts from the Shade. We're going to switch it up a little bit. I'm flying solo tonight. We miss you, Bomb, but the show must go on. Thoughts from the Shade, TFTS. We never sleep. We just watched the Phillies win game one of the NLDS against the Atlanta Braves. The Eagles moved to 5-0 and with a 20-17 win over the Arizona Cardinals. We'll take a look around the, the rest of the NFL, college football, and we'll answer Bomb's spot in the shade call. He dialed in as he can't make it this week. Uh, so thanks for the call, Bomb. Look forward to hearing from you. As always, Thoughts from the Shade is brought to you by our great friends at Menard Premium Detailing. The premier, the first in class, the best, the number one auto detail service in Bucks County. They're on Facebook. They're on YouTube. They're on Instagram. Uh, and you can check out their website at MenardPremiumDetailing.com. Uh, if you've got a sexy vehicle, or even if you don't, need an interior job, you need an exterior job, you need a coating, some protection for the upcoming winter season, the slush, the salt. You don't want to dirty up that car. Go see the guys and gals over at Menard. Uh, they'll get you hooked up. And if you're not like me and you're a little more old school, your face isn't buried in the screen, give them a call at one 2 menard That's one the number 2, Menard. So it's just me here. Let's see what happens. solo ladies and gentlemen i'm flying solo tonight bomb had some business to tend to you know we do have day jobs uh, we have other things going in in our lives as much as we love our listeners our following and doing this show you know sometimes sometimes duty calls but that's why i'm here uh to keep the people informed keep the people involved keep them aware uh of what what we're thinking you know given our insight and our thoughts uh, on the things that are transpiring in this great sports town. Um, as always, uh, shameless plug at the top here, wherever you're listening, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, find that rating area, that rating system, and drop us a five-star rating. Uh, and even write a nice little review if you really like what you're hearing. Uh, helps us out, and we really appreciate it. Uh, let's get right to it. It's Tuesday evening. Um, the Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, what a week for them. We've had two champagne parties. Uh, they're dancing on their own. You saw the clips of them singing along in the locker room. Great to see. Uh, more hats and T-shirts for for two wins uh, or three wins if you count the clincher of the regular season than I've ever seen. But we'll take it. It looks like we're in, in for a little bit of a ride after the wild card win over the St. Louis Cardinals. And the win in game one in Atlanta against the defending World Series champion, Atlanta Braves. Uh, 
I don't even know where to start. I mean, I, I'm going to start with game one against the Braves. I thought early uh, you saw a very aggressive approach from the Phillies at the plate, and I think that was probably part of the game plan from Rob Thompson. Uh, knowing that Ranger Suarez was on the bump, knowing it's not Zach Wheeler or Aaron Nola, who more than likely is going to give you six, seven innings of maybe shutout ball, one or two run ball. You know, you're, you're going to be in the game regardless of if the offense shows up or not. Ranger, you're not as sure. Uh, and I, I think Topper and Co. had the boys ready to go. They were up there. I think Kyle Schwarber swung at the first pitch of the game. It was two quick outs. Uh, I had no runs first inning, so everybody can thank me for, for the hot start and, and ultimately the win. Um, but no, the, the two quick outs, and then the bats just get going. I mean, they attack the ace, Max Freed. Uh, again, the approach to the plate, not only aggressive, but you didn't see the Phillies swinging for the fences. They're hitting a lot of singles, a lot of balls going the other way, and they scored seven runs today on on no home runs. That's a formula for success in the playoffs. Choke up on the bat, you know, protect the entire plate. If they're not coming inside, if they're not coming over the heart of the plate and it's coming outside, t- take, it to, uh, take it to the opposite field. Uh, that's what we saw today. Uh, I'm, I'm almost still in shock that the Phillies are up 1-0 in the NLDS. Crazy to think over the World Series champs, you know, you had the big run, the Braves overtaking the Mets for the NLEs. Crazy, but player of the game today, it's got to be Nick Castellanos, and it's good to see this is a guy that signed a big ticket uh, to come in as a free agent and kind of push this team over the top. And really, this is what we got him for. Uh, batting in the five hole, the five spot, whatever you want to call it, behind Bryce Harper. Um, you know, you, you saw Bryce get walked intentionally. At one point in the game, Castellanos comes up and delivers. That's exactly what you need. You need depth. You need bats. And it was a long, tough year. I, I wouldn't even call it up and down for Castellanos, but I feel like the poor dude, maybe I shouldn't call him poor. We rip everybody all the time. But the dude was getting killed uh, by the media, by the fans. Uh, he was hardly here for a cup of coffee, and, and people are calling him a bust and calling it a terrible contract. But he stuck it out. You know, he had the tiff with Salisbury. Uh, he, he's still a goofy, kind of quirky du- dude. You heard him in the post game tonight talking about the catch he made out in right field for the second out in the ninth inning. Uh, pretty much a game-saving catch. And he just called it a, as everybody saw it. He saw, he saw the batter swing. He saw the ball go up. He ran and he caught the ball. That's literally what he said. A little bit of a weird dude. But at the plate, three for five, three RBIs, a run, and – on the defensive side, probably the play of the game uh, to seal the win in the ninth inning for the Phillies. So, again, surprising a little bit, but I think we talked about it last week uh, as we, we kind of hop back on the train here with the Phils for this playoff run. Arms get hot, bats get hot. Uh, I, I think anything can happen. And even a team like the Phillies, had an up and down year. They had they had the big cushion. They were way over five hundred. Then they kind of skidded down the stretch. Not sure if, if they're going to get in. Then they get in. You think it's a weight lifted off of their shoulder, and now they're kind of just playing loose. Um, so we'll look forward to game two Wednesday. Hopefully, you're catching the podcast here uh, before the game. 
game two first pitch, uh, 4.30-ish on Wednesday afternoon. I don't, I don't know what's up with the 1 o'clock start on a work day, on a Tuesday. I don't know if MLB like wants people to watch baseball or not, but I was working hard. Zach Wheeler on the mound in game two. Aaron Nola Friday. Uh, I would say there is a very, very good chance, a very good chance, a high percentage chance, that the Phillies will have a chance or have the opportunity to to close out this series in Philadelphia on Saturday in front of the Philly faithful. And again, it's just crazy to think that we'd be in this position. Uh, you, you wouldn't have thunk it a week ago, but here we are. Buckle up. We're in for a ride. Let's just catch one of these two with Wheeler and Nola, and we'll have two shots to close it out Saturday in Philly or Sunday in Atlanta. Uh, I guess the last point to make on the Phillies, and I talked about the weight being lifted off the shoulder, clinching the playoff berth and, and kind of being loose and nothing to lose as the sixth seed in the new format, last team in. But this team is winning in different ways. Uh, and it's it's a three-game sample size, but again, it's October baseball it's about finding a way. In any sport, it's about finding a way. There's plenty of teams and plenty of players and plenty of games where they find a way to lose. And I don't just say they as in the Phillies. I'm saying any team, any player, any sport. It's it's easy to find ways to lose, and when you're finding ways to lose, it compounds and, and it kills confidence. But the way that the Phillies have won these first three games of the playoffs, they've all been in different ways. And I really think it builds the confidence. And it really started in game one against St. Louis. Uh, I I want to say they had two hits. I'd have to check the stats, but not important, not relevant. The bat, bats were cold. Wheeler pitches a solid game. And you're down two going into the ninth. And the Phillies identify that, that the Cardinals closer, you know, can't find the plate. He's gassing it over 100, but he can't find the plate. They're patient. They get get the seeing eye hit from Segura. Uh, they pour it on. Again, I just think winning in the ninth inning, staying patient, uh, kind of tr- trusting trusting what they're doing, and then, and then seeing it pay off can really build confidence for a team. And I think that's what you saw in game one, and then you saw the bats hot in game one of the NLDS against the Braves today. And then you look at a game – like today, seven six. It wasn't all you know, rainbows and butterflies. But they got got off to the hot start. They built a big lead, uh, a big enough lead that they needed. Again, talking about Ranger on the bump today, not not one of the two big guys, big guns. Phillies used seven pitchers today, and they still got it done. And they they still gave up the three run home run in the ninth. Eflin, they still gave up some runs throughout the game, but. Seven different pitchers. You got three innings out of your starter. You're playing the defending World Series champions in their building. You have none of your aces going. Again, I, I think it's going to give them confidence. I, I think the confidence was there for the offense after game one of the Cardinals. I think game one against the Braves is going to give this staff and this rotation some confidence going forward. So it's it's all it's all good and well right now. 1-0 lead in the NLDS over the Braves. But it feels like a long series. This Braves team is stacked. Uh, they had a great finish to the regular season. They have the pedigree. They just won it last year. 
the Phillies certainly still have their hands full, uh, but the way these first three postseason games have gone, you you got to believe. I think I think I got to leave it at that. You, you just got to believe and get ready for, for the punch that the Braves are going to throw. And from what we've seen so far, the Phillies, you know, they, they haven't flinched uh, in any aspect. So hopefully the bats can stay warm. Um, you know, the big question, obviously, about this team is, is the depth in the rotation and the bullpen. You lose Robertson because he's jumping up and down uh, for, for a Bryce Harper homer. That hurts, but it's just like every other sport. It's It's got to be the next man up. Go in there, do your job. The Phillies have done that thus far, and they're in a great spot. So we're going to need that depth pitching to hold up, need that rotation to hold up. Uh, it's a little bit of a scary thought to think about if the Phillies can't sweep, which is unlikely. But you have Wheeler Wednesday, Nola Friday. Is it, is it Ranger again on Saturday? Uh, does Cindergaard get a shot? Does Gibson get a shot? That's where it gets a little scary. So I know I know a sweep is a long shot, but the Phillies have to win one of the next two and then have two cracks at closing this Braves team out over the weekend. Uh, last thing, with, without Bomb tonight, I know he'd be giving us an earful uh, more, th- more than his great baseball analysis uh, from, from his collegiate experience, but I got to mention the, the commentators and the broadcasters. I think it was the ESPN ABC broadcast for the wild card series over the weekend. You had Michael Kay and Alex Rodriguez. And, you know, the local Hawks, the Philly media, the legacy media, as Bomb likes to call it, they're tweeting and, and chirping about how bad A-Rod is and how bad Michael K is. I, I, I thought they were fine. I, I thought Michael K, you know, maybe strummed off the pool holes, Molina, Wainwright thing a little bit. Um, but it's just funny in Philly here how if it's, if it's not a homer broadcast and, you know, tugging off our own guys for three and a half hours every night that, that, the, the commentary is so bad. I thought Alex Rodriguez was really interesting. Uh, he talked about approach at the plate and, you know, specific guys and what they're thinking, what they're looking for. You, you had him calling out pitches that actually came to fruition, unlike John Cruck, um, who just says, oh, I, I think you're going to see a heater here. Or, I think you're going to see a breaking ball here. You had Rodriguez walking you through what this pitcher is thinking, what the hitter is thinking, and what's to come. And you saw it unfold. Obviously, A-Rod, love him, hate him. He's still one of the greats. Uh, and you you, you get a, the mind or the brain of that guy up in the booth and on the air. Uh, a lot of interesting tidbits. And then uh, I want to say the guy on Fox today is Joe Smith. I know John Smoltz, uh, Braves great. I didn't really notice him homering it up at all. Joe Davis, Joe Davis, Joe Davis and John Schmoltz for for Fox today, and I I thought they were good as well. Uh, I I didn't see them getting ripped yet. Uh, It's only game one, but A-Rod and Michael K got killed, and and I thought they were totally fine. I know we're not missing T-Mac and Crocker and all the antics that go on. But, yeah, game two, Phillies-Braves in Atlanta Wednesday afternoon. The Phillies are back home. Friday afternoon. And we asked the question last week, will it sell out? Will Citizens Bank Park sell out? It sounds like it's selling out. 
you know, the secondary market, the t- tickets are very expensive. I want to say $200 to get into the building. I think you could get into the Atlanta building today for $15. So good on us. Good on Philly. Looking forward to seeing it rocking uh, on Friday evening. Let's talk about the 5-0 and Philadelphia Eagles off a 20-17 win over Midget Murray, Pretty Boy Kingsbury, and the Arizona Cardinals at State Farm Stadium on Sunday. It wasn't pretty. I don't I don't really know where to start. I, I have the notes here. I don't have the big takeaway. Uh you know, you have to I have to mention, uh, especially for Bomb, Cameron Dicker. Dicker the kicker. Guy comes through. Uh I think he made kicks of forty two and the game winner of twenty three yards. But you know, Bob would be on here talking up Howie Roseman and, and saying what a great job he did bringing this guy in off the street, uh, and rightfully so. Uh, I, I did give him a little bit of shit when he was texting me about it, telling him to get, you know, get the, uh, for the lack of a better word, get the peace out of his mouth. But you, you do have to, to give the Eagles credit for, for bringing this guy in and bringing in a guy that may, can make kicks because you saw on the other side with Arizona, Matt Amendola, he missed kicks for Kansas City weeks ago. Somehow finds himself a job in Arizona and misses another kick that would have extended the game late in the fourth quarter. Uh, so good on the Eagles, good on the scouting department, Howie and co. for bringing in Dicker the kicker. Great to see um, out of Cameron Dicker while while Jake Elliott is down. But, yeah, on the offensive side, pretty uneven day I think the Eagles scored touchdowns on two of their first three drives uh, and then had six points the rest of the day Uh, very uneven day where was AJ Brown Uh, three catches 32 yards I think all of which were in the first half Um, obviously working with a banged up offensive line Malata was out Uh, Jack Driscoll played the game at left tackle you had Kelsey and Dickerson out for periods of the game so we talked about the importance uh, of the trenches of the line play last week, and you kind of saw when things got shaken up across the offensive line for the birds on Sunday. It got a little ugly for the offense, but they ultimately got the job done. The final drive that that was that was kind of my big takeaway going into that final drive was if the Eagles can put together a drive here and get a stop and win this game. It's not pretty, but they're facing adversity. They're on the road, although although it did sound like a home game down there. But if you can can score on that drive, get the stop, get out of Dodge with a dub, uh, it's good mojo, and it's it's all good. And that's what they did, so let's not not kill them. Uh, They didn't run the ball well. Until the last drive, they didn't try to run the ball a lot until that last drive, which I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, You know, I think Arizona was dialing up some run blitz. They were dialing up a lot of other blitz as well, getting after Hurts. Felt like he faced a lot of pressure. And all the Eagles really tried to do when they were sputtering was throw a lot of these little wide wide, wide receiver screens, which – just, I don't know. I, I didn't feel good about it. And it's 
it's got to be a little bit of an area of concern for you know your your prized offseason acquisition to to go missing in the second half, um, for your run game to disappear for a big chunk of a game, but. I think they'll work it out. I think Steichen and, and, and Sirianni will work it out, and, and Hurts as well. Uh, I did really love on that last drive, the Eagles get backed into a third and 12, and, and Hurts makes a call at the line uh, against the blitz and, and hits the hot guy Goddard right over the seam, right over the middle, uh, and Goddard does what he's been doing all year, picking up yards after the catch. Uh, 11.3 yards after catch average for Dallas Goddard this year. That's second in the NFL. And you just watch that guy. And then you watch the Eagles play the Cardinals with our old pal Zach Ertz. And, yes, Zach, thank you for your service. Thank you for the catch in the Super Bowl. We appreciate it. But, man, I, I, I don't miss that guy. I, I don't miss watching him catch the ball you know, take five seconds to turn around, shuffle his feet a few times, and, and get another half a yard every time. So it's good to have Goddard. He's killing it. Uh, was the go-to guy on Sunday for Jalen Hurts, along with Devontae Smith, who had a, a nice game. But um, I don't know, not enough variety. I, I don't know if, if the O-line shuffles ha- had things to do with that. But it's a win. It's a win, and they really got the win because Midget Murray has no on-the-field awareness. Cliff Kingsbury, not stellar in the time management area, and Midget Murray slides down short of the first down on a second down with no timeouts, and they they have to spike the ball or stop the clock, and ultimately Arizona misses the field goal. Eagles can sit on it for the dub, but another another area of concern is the is this Eagles defense and how they allowed Midget Mary and co- and company to go right down the field. The Eagles looked happy to concede concede the field goal in that situation, uh, which which was a little concerning to me. Uh, and you look at four of the last five drives in that game for Arizona ended in scores: two touchdowns, two field goals, one punt. Uh, I think. One of the field goal drives, there was a dropped pass by Marquise Brown. That could have gone for six. So there are holes to poke uh, in the game. The Eagles, you know, Jacksonville, I want to give them a pass because of the weather. Um, but they're getting they're getting the wins. You can't complain. You look around the league at what's going on. A lot of the so-called good teams don't look so good. And the, the Eagles just continue to find ways to win. We talked about it at the top with the Phillies. Same thing applies. Good teams find ways to win. It's encouraging. It builds confidence when you find ways to win, even when you don't have your best stuff. I don't think the Eagles had it on Sunday. And week after week, you feel like all, all the, uh, you know, all the all the pros, all the experts are, are looking at the Eagles for a letdown spot. They just continue to win. Uh, it speaks volumes about the character, I think, of this team, the leadership of this team, whether it's Sirianni or Hertz uh, or some of the veterans in the trenches. But they they just continue to get it done. So 5-0, and first place in the NFC East. I don't think if we were told in late August or early September that sitting at 5-0, and we would only be one game up on the Giants and the Cowboys. 
in the NFC East. So every win counts. And, you know, the way that the schedule lines up for the NFC, this NFC East this year, getting the AFC South, going to be a lot of, a lot of winnable games, a lot of good records uh, for everybody except, of course, the Washington Commanders. And before we look around the rest of the NFL, uh, let's look ahead to Dallas. You know, we have, it, it, what a time. What a time in Philadelphia. Phillies playoff run. Eagles undefeated. Going into to Dallas week at home Sunday night at Lincoln Financial Field. I believe if there is a game five for the Phillies, it will not interfere with Sunday night football and the Eagles. Uh, but let's hope the Phillies take care of business. We can enjoy a full day of NFL uh, before the Eagles play. On Sunday night, uh, Eagles currently here Tuesday night, four-and-a-half-point favorite over the Dallas Cowboys. Total sits at 42, you would think, uh, with the way the Eagles' offense has played so far this year. Uh, that's a little bit low. Is that Dallas front going to get after Jalen Hurts, make him uncomfortable? Uh, c- can they stop the run, or do the Eagles do what they do for much of that Arizona game and r- refuse to run the ball? I don't know. Obviously, the big thing for the Cowboys, uh, is it going to be Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott playing quarterback? I personally hope that Dak Prescott rushes back uh, with that bum thumb that he sat on uh, and, and tries to sling it around the yard, throws a couple picks, you know, you know loses grip on a sack and fumbles one, gives us one, uh, because Rush has been impressive. Uh, he's not flashy. He's a game manager, but t- he's been taking care of the ball. And he's been winning. He's undefeated as a starter this year. On the defensive side, uh, I think Dallas, second in the league with 20 sacks and lead the league in pressure rate, uh, according to PFF Pro Football Focus. So, going to be a test for this Eagles offense. Everybody's, not everybody, but outside of Philadelphia, people are saying, well, who have they played? Who have they played? Well, who has anybody played? The entire league sucks. So, we continue to win, but I do think uh, I was talking to a, a listener this weekend uh, as the Monday Night Football game transpired with the Chiefs uh, and the Raiders. Great game. We'll have a little bit more on that shortly, but um, he said, I kind of wish the Eagles would play the Bills or the Chiefs this year just to get that measuring stick. Well, I think this the measuring stick is, is coming Sunday night, and, and I'm not saying that Dallas is on the level of the Bills or the Chiefs, but in terms of the Eagles' schedule, I think Dallas is the best team left on the schedule. I really do. We're going to hit two cracks at them. Uh, but, again, the, the defensive front, um, the balance that they have on offense right now with Pollard and Zeke uh, and C.D. Lamb and Gallup and, and so forth in a big spot. Sunday night football going into a bye. The Eagles are a little banged up. I, I think this is a good measuring stick game uh, against one of the top Dallas has got to be a top 10 team. They might be a top five team right now against one of the top teams in the league so far this year. It's, it hurts to say it's disgusting to say, uh, but they've been good. I think this, this is the measuring stick uh, for this Eagle start right now and no better way to do it than against the Dallas Cowboys at home under the bright lights uh, of Lincoln financial field. And we can't, not talk about the New York Giants either. Um, four and one, they they beat the Packers in London. Saquon looks back, 
Brian Dable has done a fantastic job with that team. He's got them believing. Again, it's just crazy to think 5-0, and and we've got two teams nipping at our heels, but that, the NFC East is back. It's back right now. Should I say best division in football? If it wasn't for that guy, Wentz, I probably would. Um, but, yeah, let's take a look around the rest of the NFL, some thoughts on that. But before we do that, don't forget, uh, if you're on Twitter, please follow us at TFTSPod and on Instagram at Thoughts from the Shade. Uh, rest of the NFL, got to look at Thursday Night Football. Indianapolis at Denver, you know, you sit around all week, you work your bag off, um, you sit in front of your computer screen or whatever you're doing and, and contemplate life, and then you get to Thursday night. And you think, man, how nice is this? I get to watch Thursday night football, relax, maybe enjoy a cocktail, uh, put your feet up, get ready to start your weekend, and then you have to watch Russell Wilson. And I, I, I picked the Broncos on Thursday. You, you saw my mug. You saw me smiling, Broncos country, let's ride. I, I, I thought it was a good spot for them. I know we've talked about Hackett. I know we've talked about Wilson. Um, but, but that team has some talent. They were at home. Short week usually favors the home team. Indianapolis going to altitude uh, without star running back Jonathan Taylor. Matt Ryan looks old and terrible. Frank Reich looks physically terrible standing on that sideline. Uh, I feel like years are coming off of that guy's life trying to win games in Indianapolis. Uh, certainly on the hot seat. Good for him getting the win. Thursday night, him and uh, GM Chris Ballard, Colts owner Jim Ursay, not happy with them apparently, but hopefully a little bit happier uh, for those guys' sake after the 12-9 to win over the Denver Broncos. Like I said after the game, that was the worst game I've ever watched in my life, I think, in recent memory that I can remember. Um, Russell Wilson is awful. He's a fraud. He's a fake nice guy. He's a fake tough guy. He's a fake team guy. And it's just been on full display uh, in this early NFL season. And I think we touched on it last week, but you got to bring it back to light. We talk about Howie Roseman, um, you know, and and pulling his chain, uh, you know, greasing his pole a little bit, but how about the Seattle Seahawks? They acquired two first-round picks, two second-round picks, three players, one of which was a first-round pick for Russell Wilson. Uh, and Denver gave Russell Wilson a $245 million contract at, I believe, age 33. And I think the Seahawks' offense has taken a step forward with Geno Smith. Uh, I, I think Pete Carroll knew. I think Seahawks' management knew. That, that Russell Wilson is a fraud. They sold Denver a false bill of goods, and good for them. And it's great to see Geno Smith doing things because he was fun to watch at West Virginia. You can chuck it around. He's chucking it around with Seattle. Although they're 2-3, and three, at least they're exciting to watch. They're, they're moving the ball. They're scoring points. Uh, and they just, look like, they just look like they're free of a cancerous guy like a Wentz. Uh, and Russell Wilson. So I, I've got Wilson for me. Th- this guy is in the same the same league, the same category. I mean, it's it's not a league. 
you know, because they're they're not playing a game. They're just being fraudulent and, and throwing picks. But uh, I also wanted to get to two two calls over the weekend. Same call, different situation. Obviously, over the years, the league we've we've known uh, to protect the golden boy, Tom Brady. And I love the GOAT. I'm a GOAT guy. I'm a Tom Brady guy. He's the GOAT. He's the best to ever do it. Uh, I hope Randy Love can service him in this time of need. Uh, but we don't need the NFL officials to service him in this time of need. Uh, Bucks beat Atlanta 21-15 to on Sunday afternoon in Tampa Bay. Uh, the Bucks had a big lead. Falcons are trying to come back late in the fourth quarter. They've got Tampa Bay in a, in a third down situation, and they get a nice sack on Brady. Looks like the Bucs are going to have to punt. Falcons offense was humming in the fourth quarter. Uh, Tom Brady gets sacked, and he tries to kick the guy that sacks him. He got a little bit of the Tua swing around, but not as severe as last week. Hope Tua is doing well. But Brady kicks the defender and goes to the referee, gets up, goes to the referee, and they throw the flag, roughing the passer. Game over. It's terrible. It, it's It was a football play. It was a tackle. I don't think it was malicious. Brady was not injured. He should have been penalized himself for kicking the defensive lineman on Atlanta 15 yards and giving Atlanta better field position in their pursuit to try to win that game. But instead, baby Brady, as my old man likes to call him, gets the flag. Tampa Bay wins. And then you see Monday night football. This one might have been even worse. They were both fucking terrible, but this one might have been worse. Chris Jones of the Kansas City Chiefs. Gets around the edge, comes behind Derek Carr, who doesn't step up in the pocket. Knocks the ball loose. The ball falls into his chest, into his lap. He has the ball, and he falls onto Derek Carr. And they call roughing the passer. And I had Raiders plus seven, but this was an egregious and outrageously horrible call. It's disgusting to watch what's happening in the NFL. It really is. I think we're going to be playing seven-on-seven football in five to ten years. Or flag football. I don't know. But but it's terrible. I understand you got to protect the quarterback and protect the head and protect the lower limbs. I got it. But some of these calls are just over the top. It's terribly soft. It's bad for the game. Football is a physical, violent game, and these guys that sign up to play it know it. They get compensated for it. We can't we can't have these soft-ass rules ruining the game that we know and love. And if you feel otherwise, I don't know what to tell you. I don't want to see people get hurt. I, I don't want to see guys have their careers end. But not neither of these plays came close to putting anybody at risk and and they the one in Tampa Bay definitely altered the outcome of the game and and the one in, at Arrowhead the Chiefs won the game but that could have altered the outcome of the game a turnover short field momentum we can't have these calls happening on such impactful plays and we can't have them happening happening at all uh elsewhere around the league uh man 
Bomb's got to be on cloud nine uh, with the Phillies, the Eagles, and what's happening with Carson Wentz in Washington. They lose to Tennessee 21-17. Washington has a chance late to win that game. They're they're at the two-yard line, got multiple chances. Wentz can't can't complete a pass, and then he throws the ball to the other team, and Tennessee wins. Ron Rivera was asked after that game, or maybe it was Monday, I'm not sure, but he was asked, uh, you know, what separates the other teams in the NFC East from your team, and he responded with one word, the quarterback. And I see people on Twitter calling out Ron Rivera, you can't throw your quarterback under the bus, you can't do this, you can't do it to the guy. And I, I would typically agree, but Carson Wentz, is a different animal. Uh, he got Doug Peterson ran out of town. He ruined the coaching career of Frank Reich, it appears. And uh, he might run Ron Rivera out of town. But I don't think Ron Rivera re- really gives a shit at this point. Um, you know, his health battles. Uh, he's been in the league for years. So I applaud. I applaud Ron Rivera for what he said, what he did, sticking to his guns, and calling a spade a spade. There's no place to throw guys under the bus and make excuses, and you got to have have your guys' backs, but I'm telling you, this Wentz guy, he's in the Russell Wilson category. These guys are just different. They're fake team guys. Uh, they're fake nice guys. They're fake football guys. Um, they're simps. To put it simply, uh, Matt Rule out in Carolina. He's going back to college. Uh, what a disaster in Carolina. I, I don't know if that team's roster, uh, specifically on the offensive side of the ball, is good enough. Uh, but what a debacle. What a disaster uh, for Carolina and for Matt Rule. Just, I think he's a college coach. I think some guys are meant to coach in college. I think Matt Rule is that guy. Uh, Nebraska, maybe? I'd have to look at the the odds list. I think there's some other other schools. There's plenty of jobs out there. I don't think it's long before we see him back in college. Uh, the last night I had for the NFL is the Super Bowl hangovers for the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. Um, Cincinnati goes down to Baltimore on Sunday night. Rams go down outright at home to the Dallas Cowboys. And they are just a complete mess. They have issues on the offensive line. They can't run the ball. Their defense isn't what it was last season. And Matthew Stafford looks lost. He's laying on the ground, looking up to the sky, searching for answers. They don't have any right now. A lot to figure out for both of those teams, both sitting at two and three uh, on the outside of the playoffs, looking in. as we sit here through five games in the NFL. All right, let's take it over to college, the college gridiron, college football. Huge weekend ahead. And at the top of my list, as you all well know, the 10th ranked Penn State Nittany Lions travel to Ann Arbor to take on Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan Wolverines at the Big House, 12 o'clock. On Saturday, 
big Fox kickoff, big noon kickoff, whatever the hell they call it. They'll have Urban Meyer and his shaded glasses and Brady Quinn and Matt Liner and Reggie Bush, uh, just a complete crumb of a pregame set. But we'll get Joel Klatt, we'll get Gus Johnson, Jenny Taft. Looking forward to that. That's a great crew uh, in the booth and on the sideline. Michigan, off the win at Indiana, got a little bit of a scare uh, on the road there last weekend. They're 6-0. Penn State's 5-0. Michigan minus 7 at the big house on Saturday at the moment. Total sits at 52.5. Penn State off the bye week. Uh, last game was the home win in the rain over Northwestern, 17-7, where they turned the ball over five times. It felt like it could have been 10. Um, interested to see Penn State off the bye you hear from these Penn State Hawks, I read on these message boards, oh, they kept it vanilla the first five games to really gear up to try to win in October. I, I, I don't buy that at all. What is this, year nine or year ten of James Franklin? We see what they do in September. They start hot. They get to the middle or, or late in the season, and they crumble. There was nothing saved for these games. I'm sorry. The only spot I would say that some things might have been saved is on the defensive side of the ball. New defensive coordinator, Manny Diaz. No more Brent Pry. I'm interested to see how Manny Diaz coaches this game. Uh, but before I get to the defense, I want to kind of talk about the Penn State offense, what they need to do, what we need to look for. Uh, and obviously, the spotlight is going to shine on this Penn State offensive line. Uh, they did a nice job against Auburn. People talked about the Auburn People talked about the Auburn defensive front. Penn State did a nice job in that game. Obviously, Singleton went off. Uh, Clifford was protected well, and it led to a big win. Michigan, despite losing Aiden Hutchinson, despite losing David Ojabo to the NFL, this is the best front that Penn State has seen this year. This is the best front that, aside from Ohio State, they will see this year. The light is going to shine, and this O-line needs to show up because Penn State needs to be able to run the football in this game. Uh, They need to maintain possession. They need to sustain drives. They need to stay ahead or in front of the sticks. They cannot be in third and eight and third and 10 and third and 12 uh, with the noise of the big house and with Sean Clifford behind the center it cannot happen it is a recipe for disaster the Penn State offensive line needs to show up on Saturday I don't know if they will I don't I know that they've shown some growth they've shown some improvement um, but you've played Northwestern you've played Central Michigan you've played Ohio you've played Purdue and you've played Auburn that's that's there's not enough proof in that pudding for me to say that this this five man unit is going to go into the big house and push around a Michigan football team. I know they're not going to push them around, but but can they hold serve? Can they get three to five yard runs on first and second down with Singleton and Allen? If they can, Penn State has a great chance to win this game. I I truly believe that. But again, like I said. If it's third and eight and the big house is humming and it's third and 12 and they're coming after Clifford, it's going to be a very long afternoon for Penn State, regardless of what 
the defense does because outside of the tight ends, I don't know that that Penn State has the playmakers on the outside to get it done against this Michigan team. I I just don't know. Um, Washington is a nice piece. Mitchell Tinsley has, has shown some flashes and made some plays. These guys got to step up. Uh, Strange, the tight end, has been a beast. Uh, what's the kid's name? Theo Johnson, I believe, is the other tight end. Was battling some health issues. I think he should be a go. You look for him to make plays. Um, but again, it it's like Bob and I always talk about. It starts up front. Penn State's O-line has to hold serve, protect the quarterback, get some push, open up some lanes. Um, and this is going to be a game where Nick Singleton has to be great. He's going to have to make make runs out of nothing like Saquon Barkley did you know, behind a poor offensive line in 2016 and 2017. It, it's going to have to happen because their line's not just going to bully them around and open up holes like Moses parting the Red Sea. Uh, so it's all hands on deck on offense. I think it's doable. I, I don't think Michigan is outstanding. I don't think they've really faced anybody. I think Penn State's the best team they've faced this year. Uh, interesting matchup. Uh, I talked about Manny Diaz, and does he have something up his sleeve after the bye week, uh, you know, for this meet of the schedule coming up with Michigan, Minnesota, and Ohio State? If I'm Manny Diaz, I'm stacking the box. I'm seven, seven, eight guys in the box. Let these corners, let the safeties, or the lone safety, let let these guys man up. Let them man up. Uh, Michigan has a great rushing attack. Blake Corum, this guy is just a fucking yards eater. Stack the box because from what I've seen from Penn State's front seven so far this year, I think the defensive line's been underwhelming, and I think some of the linebackers have been underwhelming. underwhelming. Uh, I want to see 23 and 11 on the field at the same time, Curtis Jacobs and then the freshman Abdul Carter. Uh, They play the same position. I, I think, I hope to God, they found a way over this bye week to get these guys on the field together because they're two of the best playmakers uh, at the linebacker spot and in the defense. And that's what they're going to need to shut down this run game. So for me, it's stack this box, stop the run, make this kid McCarthy beat you, make the receivers beat you. You have a first-round pick at corner and Joey Porter Jr. You have Kalen King. You have Johnny Dixon. Uh, you have Jair Brown. You have guys in the secondary that, that can make plays and, and do a, do a good enough job. I, I believe that. They have to stop their own. But I could see it playing out where Penn State can't run the ball. Michigan's getting after Clifford on third down. They turn the ball over, and Michigan runs it down our throats at will. I, I could see it. But the line doesn't tell me that. The line's not telling me that. Seven. Somebody asked me last week on the bye, what do you think the line opens after this game? I said eight and a half. Eight, eight and a half. It's at seven. I said if it's under seven, I think they have a great chance to win the game. It's at seven. I think Penn State will cover. I do. Um, but they're gonna they're gonna have to show up. And off the bye, there's no excuse for James Franklin. Uh, this is a huge spot. They they need they need to show up. They need to show show some guts on the road in a tough environment. 
and they, they did it at Purdue. They did it at Auburn. This is a different monster. I think it can be done with, with the guys that they have. Um, and if they don't, it's on one man, or I'll say two men, JF and Sean Clifford. Uh, enough on that. The other three primo matchups in college football, you have Alabama at Tennessee, Tennessee undefeated. What are they up to? Let me check these rankings real fast. This is a huge game in the SEC. Uh, Tennessee working its way to being fully back. They're up to number six. Alabama at number three uh, after a sluggish performance with the backup, Jalen Monroe, against Texas A&M last weekend. Still got the win, even though A&M had a chance to win it uh, late in the fourth quarter at the goal line, and Bama gets the stop. Tennessee off the big road win at LSU. Uh, my one bad, one of my bad picks, I should say. I had a couple bad picks, but I had a lot of good picks this weekend. LSU was one of the bad ones. Tennessee blew them out in Death Valley. Uh, Alabama at Tennessee, three thirty CBS. Alabama seven and a half point favorite. Aside from playing Georgia, I can't really think of a time where Alabama was less than a double digit favorite in recent years. Have to check the numbers on that. Going to be a great environment at Tennessee. Neyland Stadium, uh, one of the largest capacities in the country. Down in Knoxville. Uh, man, if the Vols can get it done, it'll really shake some things up. Uh, don't know if Bryce Young is going to play for Alabama. If not, they, they might be in trouble. But who knows? Who knows? Tennessee is kind of like a Penn State. You know, they, they show up. They, they get some things rolling, then they get punched in the mouth, and, and they never stand back up. So big game in the SEC there. Big 12 also at 330, two undefeated. Oklahoma State, number eight in the country at TCU, uh, number 13 in the country, two five and 5-0 teams. Oklahoma State off a comeback win against Texas Tech. The Horned Frogs, or as some people like to call them, the Horny Frogs of TCU uh, off the win at college game day at Kansas. Uh, spoiling, you know, the early fun, the early good run of the Jayhawks. Uh, although they did lose their starting QB in that game. That was a wild game. I had TCU. We got the cover. Nicely done. Uh, and our last game to look at here, number seven, the USC Trojans at 6-0. and uh, Going to Salt Lake City to take on the Utah Utes, who are off of a 10-point loss at the Rose Bowl to the UCLA Bruins. Bombs flying high with the Bruins. My Pac-12 pick. Two losses. I think the playoff playoff shot's cooked, but they are three-and-a-half-point favorite at home against the seventh-ranked Trojans uh, Saturday at 8 p.m. Big game for the Trojans. Big game. Crazy to see them as a dog in this spot. Can they get it done? This is their biggest test to date for the New Look Trojans and Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. Uh, Should be a great one. Great day of college football on Saturday. Let's wrap this solo episode up. If you are still with me, if you're still awake, thank you guys for listening. Let's go to our spot in the shade call. We've only got one. It's our boy, Um, despite him not being able to be with us tonight, he had to check in. And we want to hear from our listeners, our followers. So much going on right now. Phillies playoffs. Eagles are undefeated. 
Got the Flyers starting Thursday night. You got the Sixers starting Tuesday. Um, college football rolls on. Or if anything's happened in your life, you you need a ruling, you need a violation, you got a bone to pick. Um, you want to go on a rant, you know, let 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 some hot air out. Call in 215-385-5164. It's your spot in the shade. We want to hear from you guys. Uh, hit us with something in the coming weeks. We'll respond on the episode. Let's hear what our boy, who was MIA tonight, Bomb, has for the people in May this week. Gee, it's Bomb. Hey, sorry I couldn't make it this week. Uh, man, what a weekend to be a Philadelphia sports fan. I'm driving down uh, I-95 on the way to uh, the airport here. Uh, big work trip. But uh, I was sitting here reflecting. I don't think there's been a better time to be a Philadelphia sports fan uh, as it relates to the leadership that these teams have at, at the head coaching or managerial position. I mean, you look at what Rob Thompson's done with the Phillies team, he's kind of an understated guy, a guy who was overlooked, a guy who wanted to be a manager, uh, but has that you know pedigree, obviously, with the Yankees from back in the day. He finally gets his chance, and, and clearly this team responds to him. You look at Sirianni, who's got the ability to kind of connect with his, these new age players. Um, you know, the, the amount of, you know, EQ that this guy has. You look at Torts, a guy who's going to instill a level of discipline in this Philadelphia Flyers team. I think the only guy we got to get rid of here is uh, is the fraud that is Glenn Rivers. So, figured I'd call in, get my initial thoughts. I'm pumped up about the leadership of these franchises and uh, the Philadelphia 76ers and, uh, Really want to get your take. I mean, um, you look at the, the coaches that have been successful in Philadelphia. They've all been lo- overlooked. You look at Charlie Manuel. You look at Doug Peterson. The big-name guys, the Joe Girardis of the world, haven't come through for us. So, wh- wh- what do you think? What do you think about about our coaching, where, where these teams are going, uh, with, with the type of leadership they have in the dugout or behind the bench? Take care. Thanks, Bob. Good to hear from you. I'm shocked that you didn't mentioned Howard Roseman, but it sounds like you're, you're going coaching, you're going leadership tonight, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, we thought Sirianni was this weird dude, this no-name guy. I posted uh, the Conor McGregor, who the fuck is that guy? Like, I posted that, that little clip when we hired Sirianni. Like, I, I didn't know what to make of it, and here we are, uh, what? quarter of the way a little more than a quarter of the way through through year two uh and this guy's got the top dog in the city uh, and he's got the people fired up he's got an undefeated team bomb talked about uh you know getting this new new age new era new wave of player to buy in i think that's what sirianni's done um and he understands the city like as as much as you know we make fun of some of the corniness uh, and some of the craziness of the Philadelphia fan. Nick Sirianni understands the fans. Uh, I think that's one of the most – it's it's cliche to say everybody says it in this city, but it's the truth. Um, you need to know how to play in this city as a player and how to handle yourself. If you're a coach, you need to know how to coach in this city and handle yourself. Uh, Sirianni's done a hell of a job, uh, and I'm, ha- I'm happy to have him. It hurt, it hurt to see Doug go. Guy brings you a Super Bowl. Uh, he's a he's a guy's guy. He's a man's man. Uh, the players loved him too, but I think these players love Sirianni just as much. Um, could it blow up in our face and something's going on behind the scenes? Maybe. I, I, I don't see any of that. 
right now. And then you talk about Rob Thompson coming in for the canned uh, ass that is Joe Girardi. And, and Thompson just got his two-year extension in this little break between the wild card and the divisional series. So great to see for Rob Thompson, two-year extension. Um, you know, we, we talked about it last week, you know, making fun of uh, all the T-shirts and champagne for clinching and then, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, we're popping bottles again two times in one week. Aren't these guy, guys pro athletes taking care of their bodies and, and whatnot? But they're believing in Thompson. And, yeah, they're having all this fun. But his his first message at the celebration was 13 more wins. We're down to 10. Uh, I talked about at the top of the episode kind of the changed uh, approach. It looked like a changed approach at the plate for the Phillies today. Um you could tell they're buying what this guy is selling. And just another guy who throughout the summer, throughout the season, uh, when he first came on as manager, the Phillies get hot. And, the of course, the media is hounding him about, oh, how about an extension? What do you think about coming back next year? Or what, what do you think about having the interim tag lifted? And the guy just says, look, I'm I'm trying to win a ball game tonight. Uh, just another guy that knows knows how to handle it in this city. No blips on the radar for, for him or Nick Sirianni yet. Uh, and then, then you go to the ice. The Flyers open their season uh, Thursday night against the New Jersey Devils. Nobody's excited. Uh, I'm as big a Flyer fan as anybody out there, and, and I'm not excited. But I'll tell you what, the thing to watch this year is John Tortorella. Uh, this is a fiery guy. This is a no-bullshit guy. Uh, Bomb talked about, you know, some of the big name coaches or managers that we brought in. Uh, we thought we had something with Elaine Vigneault. Uh, that clearly fell flat after, I don't know, two thirds of a season or three quarters of a season and, and, and the COVID pause. Um, but I'm excited to, to watch torts in the press uh, and, and rip these media people. I, I'm Excited to watch him rip these players and, and bench guys and send guys down and, and figure out what we've got. I thought it was really telling. Just this week, there was a clip that surfaced of Tortorella and, you know, all the Flyers faithful were so disappointed that we didn't sign Johnny Gaudreau this summer. But Tortorella addressed it and he said it's it's not the right time, you know, and, and he's right. It would do nothing for this team. They'd, they'd be no closer to making the playoffs this year with Johnny Gaudreau. And he said, yes, he's a great player. Uh, you know, yes, he can fill up fill up the, the net and, and the score sheet and whatnot, but he's like, we need to figure out what we have because they, they have no clue what they have. Uh, and the GM, Chuck Fletcher, I think he's done a pretty terrible job. Uh, and you hear some of this GM speak from Tortorella, so hopefully that's shaping Chuck Fletcher a little bit. And I, I think this is... You know, they called it a stabilizing year this summer. Uh, last winter, as the season fell apart, they, they said they were going to pursue a regressive retool. I don't I don't care what you call it. I think the Flyers are rebuilding, even though they won't say that because they need to sell tickets uh, and they need to get you in for Star Wars night and grilled cheese night, uh, you know, and take a selfie with Gritty Night. This is a rebuild. They're going to play a lot of young guys. They're not great. Uh, they're not all highly touted, but I think it's the right thing to do. Figure out what you've got, who can play, who can stay, who needs to go. 
That's a lot of what Torts has been preaching, if you read between the lines. Uh, and he's going to be entertaining as hell. So I'm looking forward to it. I know they're going to blow, but it is an encouraging guy to have uh, behind the bench. And do I have to talk about the Sixers? Um, Glenn Rivers is a fraud. He won one championship uh, on the back of one of the NBA's greatest trios. And that's all that needs to be said. Uh, you have everybody talking about James Harden and, oh, I lost 100 pounds and tweet that. Um, sh- show me in April. Show me in May. Uh, whoop-de-doo, your top four in the East again. Uh, you know, your your frosty freeze out and again and this and that and trolling everybody on the internet. I, I, I don't have words. Um, I don't think we're going to see a reinvented James Harden. Um, he said he lost 100 pounds. I saw this guy th- throwing cakes in oceans and starting a wine business um, in the off season. So I, I have no words, but you know, there's, there's always a chance to show me and, and they don't need to show me because the, the Sixer fans continue to show up. They continue to show out. They continue to say this year's the year and, Oh, we got tough. We got PJ Tucker and we got DeAnthony Melton and we got what we needed to protect Joel and B. Well, you know who else got tough this off season? The Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, they gave this guy, Nick Delorier, a four year deal, uh, you know, cause he's tough and he's an enforcer and he'll fight and he'll stick up for these young kids. And they gave that wrist line and who's a bum. They gave him a five-year deal, 25 mil, because he's tough and he plays the flyer way and he's a broad street bully guy. So they got tough too. And you know what? They're going to stink. So I, I don't need to be told about getting tough. I need to be told about winning games. Um, but it's it's a, it's another summer. It's another fall of here come the Sixers, 10-9-8, you know, championship. Oh, let me get my Phillies, Eagles, Sixers parlay to, to win it all in, my 25 to win a million or whatever it is. Um now, Glenn Rivers, I agree with Bomb. He's he's the one we got to worry about. Um, I mean, not worry about, but just not to expect anything from him, to be honest. So, and this leads me to a good point to close on. Uh, didn't mention it talking about the Eagles and all the fans down at, or out in Arizona this week. You know, our 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 former guest, our good buddy Juice, friend of the show. He was at the game. He lives in Scottsdale. He was at the game this weekend. He was out and about. You know, the, the Phillies faithful are taking over the bar and celebrating the Phillies winning the wild card. The Eagles are taking over State Farm Stadium. Uh, but my buddy Juice, I'm on the Instagram, and, and Bomb brought this to my attention. So this is uh, this is G's presentation of Bomb's bone to pick of the week. We see a picture from Juice of this bar packed with Philly fans watching the Phillies gearing up for the Eagles. And then you have a fella in a blue 21 and B jersey. And I just can't help but think to myself, imagine that you're down in Arizona to watch your undefeated first place Philadelphia Eagles 
play the Arizona Cardinals. And on Saturday evening before that, you're at, you're out at the bar and you're watching your professional baseball team, the Philadelphia Phillies, in their first playoff appearance in 11 years. And you're showing up to the bar in a Sixers jersey. What is that? What kind of guy is that? I don't understand. A perennial losing team hasn't won anything in 40 years. And that and that's what you're showing up in when the Eagles are undefeated and the Phillies are in the playoffs, you're in a Sixers jersey. I don't understand these people. We don't I know Bomb doesn't understand these people and it's mind-boggling and it just sticks out to us like a sore thumb. I'm going to leave it at that. I appreciate Bomb pitching in something this week uh even though he couldn't be here and I'll thank everybody again for listening uh and sticking with me, sticking with us this week. Like I said, the train never stops. Um you know, we, try not to take take days take weeks off uh we will have some more fade the shade picks posted this weekend to the twitter to the instagram don't forget to follow at tfts pod on twitter at thoughts from the shade on instagram uh and let's get those picks i'm hot bomb is off a little bit of a weak spot in the nfl but we're both over 500. We're cooking. We're not We're not charging you. We're not telling you we're pros, this or that. We're telling you what we're putting our money on. You want to follow? Follow us. We're over 500. Could we get cold? Sure. We're human. We're having fun. We're gambling. We're enjoying, enjoying the games. That's what life's all about. Enjoying it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you again for listening. Uh, and don't forget to share this podcast, Thoughts in the Shade. Share it with one person that doesn't know about it. Uh, if you're so kind to and we'll look forward to talking to everybody again next week peace